Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Feed for Service podcast, Dr. Sonny Spira. Our guest today is Dr. Roger Levin. He's going to talk about the four entrepreneurial stages of a dental practice. It's an interesting way to categorize things, and I'm sure all of us will see a little bit of ourselves in there and some of the struggles and challenges that each of us face on a daily basis. As always, our podcast is sponsored by Kettenbach Dental. Kettenbach, imagine one product for every cementation protocol. Now it's available, hydrophilic adhesive cement and a hydrophobic core buildup material. It's called Vesalis Semcore. It is a great product, I use it myself. It's compatible with all substrates, all restorative designs. It has a nice tack feature that tack it and then has an easy peel cleanup. Experience why dentists permanently bond using Keytex all-in-one cement core called Semcore. Call 877-532-2123 or visit Kettenbach, K-E-T-T-E-N-B-A-C-H-D-E-N-T.us online. Sit back and enjoy the show. Thanks. My name is Drew Burns, and I'm a part of a small group of dentists who believe something crazy. We believe that the standard of care is just not good enough. We demand the best of ourselves and the best for our patients. We believe that the best way, no, the only way to practice dentistry is on our own terms. If you ask the dental consultants or the corporate CEOs, they tell you that what we're doing isn't smart, that fee-for-service dentistry is dead, and that the golden age of dentistry is over. Yet. While others focus on profits first, we focus on the patient first. And yet our offices are some of the most profitable in the entire country because we invest in ourselves and we are doing things right. It's our name on the door and it's our reputation on the line. My name is Drew Burns and I am a fee-for-service dentist. This is the Fee-for-Service Dentist Podcast, and these are our stories. Welcome to the Fee-for-Service Podcast, Dr. Sonny Spira with you all, and our good friend, Dr. Roger Levin, is with us again today. As you know, in the past, Roger's talked to us about the practice, the fee-for-service model. He talked about the strategic planning, which I, I just loved. I thought it was great. Today's topic, we're going to talk a little bit about entrepreneurial stages of a dental practice. This is something he's worked on in the four different ones and et cetera. But please welcome Dr. Roger Levin. Sonny, it is great to be back with you. I'm so pleased to be here. As you know, I, you're one of my favorite people in dentistry. You're <laughs> a great thinker in dentistry, which is always beneficial. And I'm looking forward to a great conversation today. Folks, I don't even pay Raj enough to say those nice things like that. But just just so you know, he's on the take a little bit. So, hey, that was very nice. Thank you. Um, so let's start. Let's start right wherever you want to. Uh, let's let's give just a touch of background for for our listeners who may have not heard you before, if they've lived under rock for some for some twenty or thirty years. 
you are a, a, a son of a dentist, you were a practicing dentist, and then you've gone into consulting and now you have a, a fairly large organization. Tell us a little bit of, just to give us a quick synopsis. Sure. Well, actually, I'm a third generation dentist, so it's genetically in my blood. Mm -hmm. I love the profession. And in 1985, I launched a consulting firm with one employee, that was me, Mm -hmm. uh, to get started, like every entrepreneur, which is our subject today. And uh, I'm very fortunate that I've been able to contribute to our profession for the last 38 years. We are a management consulting firm. Uh, We've worked with over 30,000 doctors in that time, and our main focus is increasing practice production by implementing excellent systems and reducing stress. So if we can do a little bit of that today, it'll be a successful day for us. There we go. Okay, so let's let's start right out. Uh, Let's hit the four entrepreneurial stages of a dental practice. Okay, so let me frame this in for our listeners, because that phrase probably doesn't mean anything to any of them yet. I hope it will in the next <laughs> few minutes. Some I'm sure it does. Uh, Go ahead. Yeah. So, it, you know, I, I have many great interests in dentistry and business. And one of my interests is always trying to observe what's happening, whether it's a trend or an ongoing behavior. And then I always find one of the best um, academic approaches and teaching methods is to create a model. You know, uh, everybody's different. I do best when I can put things into a model. And over the last 38 years, we've been observing practices from startup to multi-multi-billion, multi-multi-million, excuse me. Um, We do have a billion dollar uh, practice uh, in the profession now, DSO. But, um, you know, for the private practices and for most of us, uh, start up to multi-millions or five practices or seven or 10. And uh, how do we evaluate what stage these practices are in? So I've come up with the name, the four entrepreneurial stages of a dental practice. The first stage is the startup stage. The stage two is the growth stage. Stage three is the maturity stage. And stage four is called the leadership stage. These are names that I've applied to this model. And each stage has very, very specific and different behaviors and characteristics. So we're going to talk today about some of the principles first. Then we'll go through each of the stages, Sonny, as you and I discussed. And we need to understand, how do I go from stage one to stage two to stage three And then the big question, will I ever make it into stage four? And I I don't say that as a challenge to anybody. The fact is very few practices make it to stage four. And I'll explain why when we get there. The future of fee-for-service dentistry is based in membership patients. If you need help starting your membership plan, or if your plan is too big for your team to manage, visit dentalmembershipdirect.com to set up your free membership growth solution demo with our team. Super. So start at the beginning. Let's start at the startup. I, I would think most people probably have a, uh, you know, a understanding of startup, but let's talk about your definition. And, and you said it's a very specific point. So 
Okay, so just before we jump in there, if, if it's okay, I want to give some universal principles sure. for all four stages, and then we'll jump right into that stage one. And anyone listening that's in the early part of their career, they're going to they're gonna love what I have to say. They're going to recognize it in themselves, and they're going to laugh. Uh, because anyone who owns a practice that was a startup, like you and I, Sonny, has gone through it. And even though I joined my father in practice at the time, he had 1.2 practices. So I still had to go build the other 0.8. It would have been easier uh, if I didn't have to, but it was a lot of fun. So the first thing, the first principle everybody should know is that the early part of each stage is typically easy and fun. If we could capture the early part of each stage all the way through, that would be just great. But unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. And the latter part of each stage is frustrating, fatiguing, annoying, can lead to burnout. If you don't recognize, you're now living in the latter part of stage one, two, or three. Uh, stage four is a little bit different, as we will discuss. Secondly, um, many practices wait too long to move to the next stage, and that costs practice production, profit, and income, it means retiring later. Now, Sonny, you and I are both hard workers. I, I know a lot about your practice, a lot about you. Um, maybe your sports background gave you a great work ethic, and you know, basketball is an excellent example of, for team building and leadership. But the fact is that I encourage every dentist to have a date, not for retirement, but for financial independence. And unfortunately, living group data now shows that the average retirement age of a dentist is 72 years of age. And my bigger concern is in the next five years, I feel very confident, unfortunately, that it's gonna to move to age 75. Now, a lot of that depends on this economy. If the economy continues to decline, uh, which it may, that then it, it could move faster to that 75-year-old ability to retire. And one of the solutions, big solution, is moving to the next stage as soon as you recognize it's time to do so. So we'll work on that today. Now, let me, let me make sure I understand it. You said two, uh, I, I, I want to make sure you said one, not two things. Ability to retire the age that they have the ability to retire, or is that the age that people actually retire in dentistry? No, no, that's the ability to retire. Right now, most dentists cannot retire, thank you for clarifying this, before the age of 72. We would like to see most dentists financially independent by the age of 64 or 65. Mm -hmm. But as I said, it's actually going to move to age 75 to have the ability to retire. And we can change that by how we address production in the practice. And moving to the next stage, as I will cover, always moves to a higher production level for the practice and income level for the dentist. Okay. So the third principle then is that uh, in, the, in the latter part of each stage, the practice is overwhelmed. And when you get overwhelmed with busyness, with breakdown, with stress, uh, production tends to go into a plateau. And Sonny, you and I have been doing this for a while. Uh, when dental practices used to go into a plateau, 
they would then grow again a couple years later. That was very typical. The average plateau was five years, uh, 11 years, and 15 years. But today, when you go into a plateau, the practice tends to decline, which is something we can avoid by moving to the next stage. And then lastly, is that most practices will get to stage three. Most of them will eventually get to stage three, but they will stay there. They will not get to stage four. And stage four is the most financially and enjoyable and satisfying way to practice. And again, we'll cover that when we get there. Okay. Well, sounds good to me. Let's, let's start with this. Let's get into the startup. Okay. So stage one is the startup stage. And this is maybe the truest entrepreneurial stage. You've opened a business. Most dentists today that are opening, many listening have been through this already, but they, many of the younger dentists that they want to open, they've got student loan debt, they've got practice debt. And by the way, it's still a great investment. Dentistry is still a phenomenal investment if you build the business properly. And they get going. Now, when you're in that stage one, you're running lean. You don't have a lot of staff. I've met dentists that have had one staff member to answer the phones, be the assistant, do everything. If you're really on the ball, you might have two, one at the front, one in the back. You typically don't hire hygiene when you have no patients right away, which is not a bad idea, by the way. I don't know what your experience is, Sonny, but when I went into practice, there were hygienists, but I did my own for three years because I found a lot more dentistry when I was doing the profits than when the hygienist was doing them. And, but by, by the third year, it made more sense to delegate. And that was, a, that was a conscious and deliberate decision. So most startups at first don't have a hygienist, but they're having fun. The energy is there. They're typically younger dentists. They've got energy, enthusiasm. They've got debt to pay. They're excited. And they get going and they don't mind going in in the evening or weekends or taking work home from the practice. And that's the fun part. Remember, I said the early part of each stage is fun. The latter part is not. And that's the fun part. And then they get busier and they start to grow and things are still good, and they might add another staff member, and they're running lean. They, they run lean, not necessarily on equipment and technology, but on staff. And right. staffing is a, yeah, staffing's a big part of this equation uh, and, and how you move into stage two. And then it gets overwhelming, as we're going to see in each stage, by the latter part of the stage, you, you can't keep up. And when you can't keep up, you have customer service breakdown. You've got patients who are unhappy. You're running late. You're running behind. The scheduling is falling apart because you don't really have systems at this point. Now, Levin Group, the firm I founded, is what's called a systems-based consulting firm. So you might think that I would say, oh, you need systems at all times, no matter what. But the truth is, in stage one, you don't really need systems. You have open time in the schedule for most of stage one. You don't need great systems. You compensate with work ethic. You compensate with energy. You compensate with excitement. But by the latter part of stage one, all of that starting to unravel and break down at that point. Gotcha. Now, let me ask you this, because you did talk about, you know, kind of things get a little messy and before you move on and, and, and the financial aspect. So 
if I'm if I'm somebody and I'm saying to myself, because I think the dentists always want to know, well, at what point should I hire a hygienist? At what point should I have a second assistant? At what point should I X, Y, and Z? Do you do you, do you have some of those things, or is it more dependent on the practice? Because to me, if you say, listen, when you're doing four hundred thousand dollars a year as a solo practitioner. Then you you know for or thirty thousand a month. Then you got to transition. I think that's such a different number for so many different people. It is. I think it comes down to two main things. Um, it comes down number one to patient volume, and then it comes down number two to doctor production per hour. So when I mentioned that my first three years and what I did back in the nineteen eighties is irrelevant to anything we're teaching today. It's just a story, but. If I'm talking to young new doctors, doing your own hygiene is a great way to build patient relationships. You will always find more dentistry than your hygienist is going to find later, uh, or at least most of the time. But at the point where you can fill a doctor's schedule with dentist-oriented treatment, at the point where your uh, production per hour for the doctor is better by delegating hygiene, at the point where you have a patient flow for the doctor where hygiene is now lowering the overall doctor production, that's the right time to hire a hygienist. However, there's something nobody talks about in practice management, and I'll see if you agree with me. When you first hire, you're usually now raising your overhead because when you first hire a hygienist, unless you go part-time, if you bring in a full-time hygienist, you probably won't fill that hygienist right away. You might have her 50% full or three or 75% full. So your overhead goes up a little bit with the investment, but then as she expands her patient base, which she will, your overhead comes back down as her production goes up. In terms of an assistant, it's the same thing. Simple, I love questions, as you know, I am all about questions. Can the doctor be more productive with a second assistant? The second assistant should mean second room. That's called accelerated scheduling. And I can tell you now that an accelerated scheduling model will increase doctor production by 30% instantly if you have the patient flow. If you don't, it might be 20% or 15% till you build up. Again, hiring a team member as an investment, you're raising overhead a little bit to bring it back down and raise production and profit in the near future. So Living Group does uh, endorse an accelerated scheduling model. We teach it. And that means that each room has to have a full-time assistant for the patients. Otherwise, you're just using two rooms, but it's not a true accelerated scheduling model. And the doctor will end up fatigued rather than energized. Gotcha. Okay. So person's in the startup. Things are getting a little, um, I was going to say, Harry, they're getting a little bit overly, <laughs> overly busy at this point. So they're feeling it. And, and I know what you're talking about. Cause I've had, I've been, you know, I've been through that as you have. And then I've seen good friends in the same thing. And I've always tried to nudge them and move them along a little quicker than sometimes they want to. So the next step is to move into the next phase, which you called 
stage two. And, and to your point, Sonny, you know, I, I do some pro bono lecturing for young dental groups, young dentists. Uh, I've done it through the ADA and other groups. And I, I always tell them, yes, it will get overwhelming and fatiguing and frustrating, but you want that because those are the vital signs that you're making it through stage one and you're ready for stage two. So that, it, it may be a short-term negative, but it's a long-term positive. Mm-hmm. So as we get to this latter part of stage one, you want to move into stage two. And stage two is characterized by hiring additional staff. We start to straighten out the practice, not right away with great systems, which ultimately you absolutely want to have. You don't, you didn't need them yet. You, in stage one, I will never say to somebody, if you don't have systems, you're done for, because it's not true. But in stage two, you start specializing. You hire more front desk people. You hire a hygienist. You hire more assistants in, in whatever order that may be. If you've grown enough, you may have a separate insurance coordinator or a billing uh, secretary or whatever terms we want to use. And we're, we don't have an office manager yet. We shouldn't have an office manager yet because office managers, if done right, and we'll get to that for stage three, they're, they are indispensable, but they're not inexpensive. So we'll get there. So stage two starts out with the hiring of additional staff and everything calms back down because you've got more people to take on the responsibilities. And that stage one entrepreneurial dentist who was overwhelmed can now sit back a little bit, doesn't have to do as much administrative work. Things are being taken care of. Insurance is being followed. In an ideal world, collections are happening. New patients are getting a great first phone call. All of those practice management things are happening. And then the number one factor in stage two is start delegating. Where a dentist can really hurt stage two, which is called the growth stage, is if they don't delegate. If you hire people and still hold on to responsibilities, or if you hire people and micromanage, Harvard Business School had a great article on it last week, micromanagement breaks down trust with your team because they they feel like you don't trust them. They stop trying. They wait for you to tell them things. So delegation becomes really, really important. And one of the most important learning curves is for a stage one dentist in the startup stage to start delegating heavily as a stage two dentist in the growth stage. And then the next thing that happens is revenue starts to grow rapidly. The fastest percentage increase in revenue growth in most practices happens in stage two. Now, Sonny, you may be thinking, well, wait a minute, I'm doing a lot better today than when I was back in stage two. That's true. In terms of pure numbers, your production and income is much higher, but the growth rate, the percentage growth rate in stage two is phenomenal because that's the stage where you really take off like a rocket ship and it feels good and it's fun and you feel successful and you see a great future and you're paying your debt and your bills. But then, and I'll, I'll always say, but then you get to the latter part of stage two. And as we get to the latter part of stage two, we don't have great systems. We start to see breakdown in the team. We start to see the results um, uh, 
results are not as good. We go into a plateau. And some very few practices stay in a long plateau in stage one because it's too painful. It's too hard on the doctor. So we, we do what we need to do and we start hiring. And all, do all dentists know that if you've got two staff members and you're doing 600000 in revenue, unless you're doing big cases, you need to hire a few more people. And when you're doing 800, you might need another one or two people and so on. But what we don't know in stage two is we reach a point where we say, okay, I've hired enough. I don't want to hire anymore. So we'll just keep going and hope, hope is a big word. We'll hope things get better. Unfortunately, hope is not a strategic plan. And you can stay in your stage two plateau for a long time, unless we hit where we are now which is a more difficult economy, and it's just beginning to affect general practices. As you and I are making this podcast, you'll, you'll find this very interesting. Orthodontics is the leading economic indicator in dentistry because orthodontics is the most commodity-oriented part of the profession. That, uh, and I don't say that with any negative, but you know, a lot of people think, braces or braces. So they have a term called shoppers in orthodontics where parents will go to two or three offices. Orthodontists call it shopping to see where they can get the best fee. And the danger there is that because it's a commodity, when times are good, people don't care as much about how much orthodontics costs in a particular practice. When the economy is declining as it is today, people start tightening their belts, their financial belts, and they start shopping more. So orthodontics in the first quarter of 2022 actually dec declined in production by seven to 8%. We just finished a national survey uh, in ortho to go along with our national surveys in general dentistry. And all of these are published in dental uh, publications. So if ortho drops in the first quarter, well, exactly what we have seen and predicted from that, general dentistry has started slowing down in the second and third quarter. Very predictable. We're hearing about it a lot now. Uh, we're seeing it begin. And a lot of that are doctors who are in plateaus. So they weren't on, if you were on a growth curve, you're okay. If you're in a plateau and the economy declines, you're going to be the first practices that start to slow down as that happens. And if you're in the latter part of stage two in a long-term plateau, that's where you're gonna see your practice begin to decline. And you won't really understand why until you've heard this podcast and you won't really know exactly what to do about it at that point. So that's once again, where it's not fun it's frustrating, it's fatiguing, but, it, but unlike stage one, where you're in that later latter stage, it's not fun, frustrating, fatiguing, that's a good thing. In stage two, it's not a good thing. It's, it's a danger because you don't know what to do. You've been there for a while or you've entered that plateau and you don't realize that you can't just stay there and hope for a better future. Don't you, don't you think, though, in that growth stage where a lot of your foundational mistakes are made and if you don't um, like so you hire people. Right. And if you hire people and you just throw them into jobs and you don't give them clear direction, 
job descriptions, things that you're measuring, things that you expect, and a real follow through or follow up on it, you're going to create a bad situation because then that person might hire the next person. And just like a copy of a copy of a copy is not as good as the original, you, you run the risk of, you know, essentially being built not on a house of cards, but not, you know, maybe a house of sticks and, you know, not, not brick, you know, but I, I think that your, your, your foundation is very shaky. Well, that's absolutely true. Now in the early part of stage two, you're hiring. So simply getting more manpower or woman power does make a difference. Even if they are not highly trained, highly skilled, at least you have some more warm bodies to do things. Right. That's, so you add, you add bodies, right? But if you right. don't give them a little more direction, you know, it's going to catch up to you. And I think that's got to be part of the frustration. Well, that's what, well, first of all, we want to hire the best people we can. So if I want to be clear on that. But what my point was not go out and hire bodies, but if you did in the early part, you're still going to get a benefit. Again, right. that's, not, that's not the way to do it. Where it shows up exactly like you're saying is as we have that rocket ship growth that starts to happen and we don't hire, keep hiring more and more bodies, then that's where the, the staff, if they're not trained and we don't put in systems. Now, remember, we have to get to stage three where we're going to clean up some of this in the early part. But in the latter part of stage two, that breakdown occurs because, right, people can't get the results, can't handle the job. Once again, they're overwhelmed. The growth is too much for the unskilled, warm body person. And if we haven't hired skilled people or trained them or guided them, that's why we end up back in a, in a long-term plateau, which is dangerous this time once again. And I've seen practices that have been you know, in stage two for 10 years, 12 years, and if they didn't do something, when we get to meet them, if we don't do something, they're either going to stay there or at some point, we're going to see a declining economy. Remember, Sonny, we've had an upward economy since 2012. So anybody who's been in practice for uh, basically 10 years or less has only seen good times taking out 2020 of the pandemic. 2021 was a record year for many, many practices. And a lot of dentists thought, oh, the pandemic is no big deal. Look how well I'm doing. I'm, I'm back to rocket ship growth. That's not the case at all. Um, I call that the pandemic effect where people had so much extra money to spend. You know, we had government stimulus. They weren't spending it on travel, uh, luxury, entertainment, or restaurants. Well, America's opened back up again and people are spending less in dental practices. We've, we've even informed many of our clients, if you don't follow the systems carefully, you may not do as well as you did in 21, because part of that was not the practice, it was the pandemic that contributed to the growth. Now we're back to the normal models again uh, that we're dealing with. So your point is very well taken. Yeah, I, I, I can see that being a, because and you read things and if you're not growing, you're dying, right? If you're not growing, you're, you're going backwards and, you know, dental practice, you don't, I mean, the plateau is, is almost a, the, the fear, you know, the biggest fear you can have is, is to just be leveled, yep. you know? Um, and I, I can see 
Cause I've seen that. And I, I'm sure I made some of those same mistakes. You know, you're like, okay, listen, yeah, I, I need somebody to help me with this. Here you go. You do this. And you don't really help them, you know, and, right. and you, you, you make your way through it cause you've hired a good person. But then as you add on, you start to water down your core principles, your, your, you know, just some of the things that you really want to make sure is part of the DNA and the culture of your practice, because you, you, you've, you've been a victim of your own success. Right. And I, I don't think it, you know, that we've spent enough time on, on your practice as opposed to spending time in your practice. Well, that's true. And in stage three, and maybe this is a good time to jump to stage three, mm-hmm. we solve some of this problem because one of the most important factors in stage three is hiring what we call a highly skilled, highly trained office manager. Now, that sounds like an easy thing to do, but the reality is that our data shows that 96% of dental office managers have no management educational background and no management experience. We just tend to promote someone we trust. And trust is a wonderful thing, but it's a mistake just to put someone in a position that's not qualified, but you don't know at the time, you don't realize it at the time. So when you bring in a a good office manager, and stage three is called the maturity stage, and remember, this is the stage most practices will live in for eternity. When you bring in the office manager in the early part of stage three, her first role is training the team, putting in the systems, putting in the protocols, putting in the policies, working with the team, helping them understand how to accept delegation properly, what results we're trying to get. And then the practice goes on what I call autopilot. The dentist can now back up. And the worst thing a dentist can do when you hire an office manager is get in the office manager's way. I've seen dentists that just can't give up responsibility. Uh, Here's an interesting uh, phenomenon. So you've got this team and dentist in stage two, and they like each other. And then you bring in this office manager early in stage three, the maturity stage. And you say to the office manager, I want you to run the practice. I am exhausted. I am burnt out. I want to do dentistry. You know, you and I know, Sonny, that most dentists would be very happy if they could just walk in and do dentistry. That's called stage four, and we'll get there. So, but what happens is we hire an office manager and, the, and we warn our clients about this all the time. And then the team is going to test out, we call it pressure testing the office manager. If they don't like anything the office manager does, which is going to happen, they go right back to the dentist and they ask the dentist, can I do this? They ask the dentist, can I have this? They complain to the dentist. And often the dentist, and this is a, a foolish move, says, okay, yeah, sure. Once you undermine your office manager, you may as well let them go because they're just not going to be effective. So the office manager has a tough job. I gave a lecture last month to the American Association of Dental Office Managers. I think there were about a thousand people um, on on the uh, webinar and I've got part two in the fall. And they've got a tough job because they are in the middle of the sandwich. They have to manage down, and they have to manage up. But I would advise dentists, if you do one thing, it is let your office manager manage 
and don't interfere with what they're doing. That's why you hired them. Now, you said something really interesting. When you hire them, you've got to share the values of the practice with them. You've got to share the mission. We don't want managers. We want values and mission-driven managers because today, staff members want a purpose. They want to belong to something. The practices that are keeping their staff, the staff wants to be there. They like the practice. They feel like they're making a difference. They feel like they have a purpose and that they go to work with a lot of friends. And the practices that are just trying to get through the day, they're the ones that are going to have a a high turnover rate. So you bring in that office manager, you indoctrinate them into the culture and the mission. Often they have to actually create a new culture because the culture was just chaos at the end of stage two. And when you bring them in, the dentist can now get back to dentistry. Early part of each stage is fun and enjoyable. And the office manager's number one job is getting systems into the practice to train the team to the highest level. And that's where the office manager has a critical role in stage three. And stage three is the office manager and having excellent systems and it's fun until you get to the latter part of stage three. And the majority of practices, Sonny, live in the latter part of stage three. We, are, we have higher revenue than ever before. We have more patients than ever before. At this point, many dentists have great skills for the clinical dentistry, but we once again outgrow our systems, um, maybe outgrow some team members, hopefully not, and we start having that breakdown again and frustration, and we outgrow the office manager, which doesn't mean we need a new office manager, where are we investing in this office manager and team? When we have a new client that has a good, not great, but good office manager, we are thrilled. And I always say to the dentist, your experience is going to be so much more pleasant and easier than if you didn't have this person, because we train her, she trains the team, and the dentist can sit back and do dentistry. It's a wonderful, wonderful situation. Well, talk about the difference because I do think one of the problems, major problems is people don't delegate, they abdicate. And, and as, a, as a leader, as a dentist, as the owner, if you just abdicate authority and you don't delegate authority, you're in a bad position. Yeah, well, that's it's very true. And there are two ways to approach this uh, delegation question. The first one is delegating to the office manager, right? We don't encourage the dentist to hire the office manager, hands up, um, team members go away, office manager, don't talk to me, I just do dentistry. That, that's a disaster, that's a car wreck waiting to happen. Yep. Absolutely. You, you have such good insights. And that, that's, that's just a car wreck. And uh, you know, you've been in practice a long time, you may have even had that experience, we all have. Um, what you do is understand that meetings are very important. I am a huge believer in meetings. Now, in the business world, you'll find a million articles on how meetings waste time and are inefficient in business. But you'll find, you know, 100,000 articles telling you that the right meetings and how to run them properly are critical. So when we hire office managers, we teach the dentist how to have a weekly meeting with a preset agenda with the office manager. This is essential. 
And it has to be every week. I mean, you can talk each day, but there has to be time every week for a formal meeting with the office manager to go through a key agenda. How's our production? How's our profit? What went right this week? What went wrong this week? And by the way, meetings to me, most things to me are about having a great conversation. I, I love the idea of great conversations. And you ask questions and you have a conversation, but you help to guide and shape the office manager because the dentist is the ultimate leader in the practice. Um, an example, I just finished um, a book called a video book. It is not for sale. It is not for sale. So nobody call me to buy it, please. Uh, got a lot of editing to do. But I made a book called How to Become a Great Leader. And I make the point in there that if you don't constantly help shape the culture, the culture will shape you. You can't delegate leadership solely to an office manager or the team. So you've got to meet with that office manager every week, and you've got to have someone you can converse with and have great conversations and build toward excellent delegation. Number two is the Harvard Business School recommended method of delegation. And it's, it's just a few steps and it's brilliant. Uh, most people, when they delegate, they say to somebody, go do this. And that's the end of that. That's not delegation. That's not even abdication. That, that, that's um, nothing. That's asking a person to fail unless they already know how to do it. So instead, the first step of delegation is select the right person. If you delegate to the wrong person, they're going to fail in that activity. Step two, tell them what you are delegating. Be very clear, very specific. Many people don't realize they think they're being clear and they're not. Sonny, how many times in your life has somebody said, I don't understand what you're saying? Uh, it certainly has happened to me. And if somebody says that to me, I step back and I say, okay, it, this is not them. This is me. I'm not explaining this properly. Like in this podcast, I, <laughs> I, I hope I'm explaining things properly. If somebody's listening to this and has no idea what I'm saying, well, then I didn't communicate very clearly. So clearly can step two, clearly communicate what you want the person to do. Step three, communicate the expected result. If you don't tell them the result you're looking for, then you any result they get is acceptable, except it's really not. But in their mind, well, I, I did what you asked me. Well, you didn't get the result. You didn't tell me what result you were looking for. That's why at Living Group, we love numbers. Everything we do is in targets. You know, have less than 2% overdue patients, collect 98% of money, get 98% of new patient callers to make an appointment, grow your production this year by 18%. We try to put numbers on everything we can so that the team knows what the targets are that we're trying to achieve. Number four, ask the person if they have any questions. You know, a lot of times we delegate and we don't even give the person a chance to ask a question. So they kind of go away thinking, well, I'll do the best I can. I don't want people to live in a best I can world. I want them to live in uh, getting the result world. So number four, do they have any questions? Number five, let them know the check steps. When you delegate, as you said, Sonny, you don't abdicate. You don't go away. You don't make people afraid to ask you a question. So when you get to this point, 
come back to me and tell me where we are. Or I'm going to check in with you in one week to see how this is going. You set up the check steps. And then number five, you monitor the final result and you create a feedback loop, which means whatever result they get, you give them feedback. It's called a teachable moment. You're now teaching them, hey, you did a great job on this. Please do it this way every time. Or, hey, wonderful effort. I really appreciate it. You got 95% of the way, but we need this little extra the next time that we do this. Or we were at 2% and we really want to get to 2.5%. So there is a method of delegation, what I just laid out that people can follow. And you can become an expert delegator in about three minutes by following that method. I use it all the time. I learned it 30 years ago. It's been so helpful. And it's not something I would have thought up on my own. Yeah, it covers it and it, and it touches on a few things. I, I always look at some of the uh, missteps that I've made or my friends have made and things that they've done. And I think one thing that I see often is you talk about leadership and you, you, never, you never abdicate. You should never give up your leadership role, regardless of who's got what title. And I think that's a huge mistake. Yes, we love sitting in the chair. We love being in that operatory. We love doing that dental thing. That's what we were trained for. But you, you can't have a rudderless ship, and you can't have a ship with just a first mate. You need a captain. So I, I do think that that the, the delegation, that's very helpful how to delegate better. But also you can't, you can't run from those, those responsibilities. Well, I, I agree completely. And, and another um, uh, angle to look at it, because I've spent a lot of time kind of studying these entrepreneurial stages in the model we've developed, uh, just to help us understand better, being a leader in stage one, well, leader in stage one might mean helping out at the front desk. It might mean picking up trash in the parking lot. And being a leader in stage two is different. Now, if you're not doing more production, you're not handling the growth. You won't have that rocket ship uh, expansion of production. And then you get to stage three and you hire this office manager who also needs to be a leader in his or her own right. But now I would say in that stage, you're more about leading the values and the principles and the culture than about leading the day-to-day -day systems and operations. So your, your leadership focus and responsibility needs to evolve over time. And do you become a better leader? Maybe not, but you become a different leader. And if you're still doing in stage three, what you were doing in stage one, you're just, you're just undermining the office manager and the entire process. Uh, but stage three is called the maturity stage for a reason. You're a mature practice now. You will grow again, but then you are going to hit uh, that lifetime plateau and further growth. Yes, you may grow a little bit each year, uh, but it's going to be more dependent on external factors like the economy or raises in insurance profiles for those that participate with insurance or location. It's going to be less internally driven. And as a business owner, I would recommend to all dentists, you always want to be internally driven and then take advantage of external positive events. So your point's fantastic, but here's my chance to explain that leadership in each stage needs to be different in order to be successful in that stage. 
Well, I totally agree. And I think great leaders inspire great leaders around them, you know, instead of, you know, always, you, you, you don't always want to be pulling, you know. Right. Well, I spent, I spent years on the definition of leadership because I've, I've read so many books, taken so many courses, you know, I've easily read 200 books on leadership. And if we count blogs, I'm sure I've read 10,000 articles over the years because you get them. You know, I, I get uh, 11 newsletters every morning from business schools and I pick the articles I want to read. And I can tell you that there's so many definitions of leadership. And it took me a number of years to come up with my own. But my definition of leadership, and I, and I like it a lot. It's not the only one, certainly, is leaders make other people successful. In mm-hmm. stage one, you make other people successful by pitching in. In stage two, you make other people successful by hiring and increasing your own production capability. In stage three, you make other people successful by allowing them to do their jobs and getting out of their way on a day-to-day basis, but you make them successful by organizing them around the culture and the values and the principles of the practice. Well, you, um, you also got to develop a clear vision, right? You oh, have, absolutely. You have, you have to set the, you know, so that, right? Like the, like, you know, hey, man, we're making great time. We happen to be lost, but we're making great time, you know, versus, you know, we're, we're headed for uh, Montana, and this is our goal. And this is our destination. Here you go, office manager. Here, here's what we're here's where we're headed. And Sonny, it's really great that you said that because I I will say this. And again, I don't criticize or judge anybody. Uh, I I get out of bed every morning to be as useful and helpful as I can. But most dentists in stage three do not have vision. See, the vision is set for you in stage one, the startup stage. You want yeah. to get to stage two. You may not. You may not call it stage two, but you want to get to stage two. And in stage three, in that latter part where you're overwhelmed and fatigued, you want to straight, the vision is to straighten that out. And that gets you into stage three. But because most practices remain in stage three, they don't, if I ask most dentists, what is your vision for the future? It's not a vision. It might be, well, I want to save some more money or Um, I'd like to have my team perform better or things. Those aren't visions. Those are business operations and it's vision. And this is a perfect time and segue. It's the dentists with vision that actually get into stage four. And I would say that's probably about five to 8% of all the dentists and practices in the country move into stage four. Stage four is unique. And a lot of people don't even know you can have it. They just assume the way things are today is the way it has to be. I'm just, I'm busy. I'm fully staffed. I've got an office manager. I've got a lot of patients. This is just, this is it. This is, this is where I'm going to live. And they don't know that there's actually an even better way. Um, but you have to do things to get there. And that leads to stage four. Okay. So now person struggling, like you talked about at the end of these phases, at the end of the maturity phase, there's, they find themselves struggling and probably a lot of people that you say that kind of remain there don't really want to put out some of those fires or don't want to really, you know, extend some vision. They're just going to say, we're going to stay right here and, and this is how we'll do it. And we'll, we'll ride the ups and downs with it. So yep. now you're going in and you have a person and they want to get into that fourth stage. 
Okay, so the fourth stage is a conscious choice. The, you know, stage one will get to stage two. And most stage two, it may take them a little while if they don't acknowledge it, but they will get to stage three. And in stage three, it's not, a, by the way, it's not a bad place to live. You have a nice income, you have retirement savings, but stage four is financially so much more rewarding and it's so much more fun. And if a dentist says, well, I make enough money, I'm happy, more power to you, but are you having as much fun as you could? Because as you know from me, Sonny, I'm a big believer. If we're not generally having fun, then the only reason you're doing something is for the money. And that's that's not, you know, you may have to do it. You may have no choice, but that's not a great way to live. So stage four, I call the leadership stage. Uh, and you and I have been talking about leadership, and that's actually the name, because this is where you've got to have a vision of a better future. But you, the, but the vision has to be specific, and it answers the question, where do you want to be in five years? So here you are, you know, you're doing well, but you're struggling in that latter part of stage three, the maturity stage, and you say, ah, I just learned about this stage four, the leadership stage. The first things you need to do, believe it or not, are establish a vision and share that vision with the team. Because if they don't know the vision, you're probably not going to get there because you've got nobody to help you. And number two, make your mission real. I call, I've come up with the term living mission. M many practices have a mission statement. Back in the 1980s, that was unique. That was, that was uh, a breakthrough. That was incredible strategic thinking. It's now routine. But you know, Sonny, and I know that most mission statements are boilerplates that somebody wrote, and most of the team doesn't even know what it says. Your mission should define the culture of the practice. Mm -hmm. And the mission should be real. The leader has to talk about it all the time. It should not be more than two sentences so people can understand it and remember it. But in, the, in this day and age of our staffing crisis, what they call the great resignation, we need vision and mission to inspire the team. People don't want to work any longer for just a paycheck. And I'll digress for a moment and share with our listeners, because it will help them, that the days of transactional employment are over. What is transactional employment? It is, I pay you, you do work. How many dentists have said, we've all said it, oh, with what I pay this person, you would think they could do the job. Or oh, I'm paying this person a fortune and they keep making the same mistake. Or for all the money I'm paying them, why don't they have a better work ethic? Well, those are no longer valid statements. The reason they're not valid is the, the staff, the workforce does not care. They don't want transactional employment. They want a term I coined, relationship-based employment. I want to work with you but I want a great relationship. I want to know your vision. I want to know your mission. I want transparency. Mm -hmm. Tell me what's going on. Give me a chance to contribute and make a difference and look forward to work on Sunday nights. So it's really important that we understand that. And the stage four practices are losing a lot less staff than other practices. So the first piece is vision. Second is mission. And the third is values. Having four to six real defined values 
And a value is something that does not change. In good economies, bad economies, pandemics, the values never, ever change. They're your compass and they're your guiding force. So, and it's interesting, uh, we, have, we recently um, met a client who had a front desk person embezzling. And why was she embezzling? Because one of the partners was taking the cash at the end of the day. The other partner didn't even know this. And he wasn't recording it. He was taking it out and having her take it off so that taxes didn't have to be paid. And when this partner who caught her embezzling said, I'm calling the police, she said, no, you're not. And he said, what do you mean I'm not? She said, well, your partner's been taking the cash and not paying taxes. So if you turn me in, I'm going to turn the practice in. So if you violate the values, now this dentist did not violate the values. His partner did. The partner was the managing partner of the office. So he didn't even know this. And it wasn't huge amounts of cash, but it, was, you know, it wasn't 50% of the practice, but it, it was enough to, you know, for the uh, front desk person to think it was a good idea to embezzle it. And uh, they ended up splitting up. That's how we ended up with this doctor coming to us. But the reality is, if you violate the values, your team will violate the values. A leader has to be the example. Now, with that foundation, because you and I can talk about leadership for the next you know, 10 hours, level four is different. Level four, most days, and a lot of dentists hearing this are going to think it's impossible, but we see it. They get up in the morning, they come to work, they're in a great mood, they've got positive attitudes, they don't run, they attend the morning meeting, they spend their day doing dentistry, but they don't think a lot because the assistants tell them where to go. They're not looking at the schedule, trying to figure out, am I in this room, that room, what am I doing? Uh, you know, Every dentist knows how to do the procedures on the schedule, they're the ones that put them there. So they spend their day with the assistants running them. If I were in practice today, Sonny, I wouldn't think about anything. I would just do what my assistants are telling me to do. The team knows the production goals for the day. They talk about them in the morning meeting. Everyone knows the next open appointment. And you work on becoming a great leader. But at the same time, you finish your day at 4.30, 5 o'clock, 4 o'clock, whatever it may be, and you go home. You get to be mainly a dentist again. Now, delegation comes back in, but I have a new term for delegation in stage four. I call it extreme delegation. We work with stage four dentists to help them identify everything they are not required to do by law. You, you don't have to do this, but it's a great exercise. Read your state board regulations. And if you're doing something that an assistant can do, or a hygienist can do, or a front desk person can do, you've got to really ask yourself, why am I doing this? And I, I've heard dentists say, well, I like it. Sorry, you're a, if you want to be in stage four, you don't get to do things just because you like it. Other people can do them. You need to be doing the dentistry that the law requires only you to be able to do. So based on that, I talk about extreme delegation. And here's the executive coaching recommendation. As you know, Sonny, I've got six of my own clients that I keep for something called executive coaching, not consulting. Uh, I work with very successful people who want more success. 
but they have to be like you, Sonny. They've got to be very successful, but amongst the nicest people in the world. Mm -hmm. So, because I do it for my pleasure as well. And, uh, you know, I say to them, I'm glad you like that, but that doesn't mean you get to do it in stage four. If you want to be in stage four, this has to be delegated. Uh, and just because you enjoy doing it is doesn't give you permission to do it in stage four. Hopefully you like doing dentistry a lot and that's where you need to be. And then lastly, stage four is the highest financial success. If you're in stage four and you get there by the time you're 15 years in practice, you're not going to be in your 70s when you're financially independent. You may choose to practice into your 70s. That's wonderful. I'm one of those people who hopes to never retire. Um, I don't want to, but I made sure starting, I remember at age 26, figuring out how much I had to earn and put away uh, in order to be financially independent by a certain age. The difference, Sonny, and I'll throw in this fun fact, is when I started saving tax-free bonds, AAA and AA rated, which were amongst the safest investments after treasury bonds in the country, they were paying 70%. So I was getting 9.5% returns <laughs> back then. I would give a lot to have that back today. Um, and that's another thing. Keep in mind, in a slower economy, your stock portfolio, which it helps a lot of dentists to reach financial independence, is going to go the wrong way. Uh, I, know I, I know my stock portfolio is worth a lot less than it was uh, last December. Now, it'll be back. You know, you just have to sit for a year or two. And it'll, you know, whether we hit a recession or not, it'll be back. But right now, the stock market's not helping you with your retirement uh, funding. So that is stage four. It is a wonderful place to live. The other thing I recommend, start, if you want to be in stage four, start reading books on leadership. Um, start reading articles. And number two, surround, this is huge, surround yourself with a team of experts. You need the right CPA. I, I must refer 100 dentists a year to a dental CPA firm. By the way, I have no financial relationship. I won't even name them unless you ask me to. But they call me and they, they're they not getting their reports. Uh, you know, we have a, a $3 million practice that was six months behind on the CPA reports. Your CPAs have to be fantastic. But remember, they are financial uh, people who tell you what's going on. You also need financial advisors in your life. You need excellent attorneys. And at different times, you need consultants. And when I say consultants, I don't mean just like Levin Group, practice management consultants. There are all kinds of different consultants out there. You need an estate planning attorney. I'm redoing my estate plan right now for maybe the fifth time in my life as things change. And it is so complicated. You need the right person because I'm going to tell you most people, including me, will never fully understand their estate plan. If you have, you know, if you if you have assets that you save, you're not going to really understand the estate plan fully. So you need true experts. Unfortunately, when that benefits you, you won't be here, but it's still something you should do. Yeah. Well, you know, sloppy life, you know, sloppy death. You know? right. <laughs> and then you just pass that along. So, yep. you know, and, and I think that's the one thing that a lot of folks um, forget about, you know, I'll take care of that later. You know, Absolutely. we feel like we have endless time. That's true. 
Yeah, we don't want to think about it, right? It's morbid. Yeah. Now, I also, exactly. The struggle is also, you know, is that I see, and, and this is something that Brian and I, my partner and I have talked about. I think when someone says, I'm going to retire in three years, technically, they've already started retiring today. Mm-hmm. And that's a hard pill to swallow, right? I'll be 59 this year. I feel like I'm 29, but it's like, what if we, what if we say, I'm, I'm going to retire in five years. I don't, I don't want that mindset. I would rather say, yeah, I'm going to retire next week. That kind of thing. Um, so uh, what, what's your advice on that? Well, I've got, I've got several comments. First of all, I have a statistic that's no, probably not true any longer because we have so many, so much money is chasing practices right now. But what we saw was that 60% of solo dentists lost 30% of their practice value in their last three years. Exactly what you said. They decided I'm retiring in three years. They slowed down. They didn't invest. They didn't get technology. They lost patience. They cut their hours and they cut the practice value. Number two, a lot of dentists think, oh, well, I'll just, I don't have to do much. I'll just sell to a DSO. They're paying a lot of extra money for practices right now which by the way, is not necessarily always the case, but when you let your practice decline, they don't want you. So you may have this great plan, but when you have a declining practice, they don't want to buy you anyway. And you'll, you know, if, if the average practice sells for 80% of value, you're going to sell for 50 or 60. Uh, number three, if you are financially independent, it's a very different mindset. When you're practicing because you want to, because you love it, when you know you can walk away, as you said, you could make a decision in a week, I'm out, uh, or God forbid you get sick or something like that, then you're motivated because you're only working because you're motivated. You don't need the money. It's nice. It's fun to have more money. Maybe, Maybe there's a luxury good you want or something. If you're 69 years old, I don't know if you still want a Ferrari or not. I don't know if you can get in a Ferrari or not, but when you're financial, and that's the beauty of financial independence, you're practicing because you love it. You want to. It's the vast majority of dentists who would like to be retired. We get a very common call throughout the year from dentists all the time. I would like to retire in two years or four years, but I just found out I've got to go seven or eight years so I would like consulting to grow my production because that's kind of what we do so that I can shorten that time frame. And I, I had that conversation last week and the dentist literally thought he'd be retiring exactly this conversation in three, two to three years. And he just found out he needed nine years and could we help him make more money so he could get out sooner. And I said to him, he had a nice practice, by the way, but he also had a big lifestyle. And I said, yes, we can I'm sure we can grow your practice because, Sonny, you, you've heard me say, and it's, it's data, almost every practice has a 30 to 50% growth potential in production in about three years. It's just that many dentists are happy and don't care right now. They may care if the economy change gets worse. But at any rate, I said to him, yes, I, I, I'm certain after I interviewed him, we can help you grow but we can't turn nine years into two or three years. You're probably looking at at least, I was making some quick mathematical uh, uh, judgments on paper while I talked to him. I said, 
you're probably looking at a minimum of six years. So, it, you know, that that doctor is only motivated now to accumulate money. And will, will he work hard? I think he will. But I think there are others that say, OK, uh, if my practice stays the same, I'm out in three years, I'm going to put in a lot less effort. Well, that's where your practice doesn't stay the same. Mm-hmm. And this is a syndrome I've seen for 38 years in my career. Um, and it's one that will continue. So this is a great warning to dentists who are thinking that way, that it might not work out as well as you think. There's a different pathway you should take. Well, you talk about person being financially um, secure, right? I forgot the exact term you said, right? Financially able to retire? Uh, financially independent. Independent. Financially independent. Thank you. Um, how does... How, uh, do you have time to cover what, what, what someone would use to calculate that? I, I can in general. Yes, I'll be happy to. First of all, what is the, I, I love questions, but then with a question, I love definitions. Um, what is financial independence when your passive income will fund your lifestyle? Now, in the financial world, which I've studied quite a bit, um, they talk about when you retire, plan to retire on 60 to 65% of your income and you'll be okay. I always thought that was a patently ridiculous idea. You can do it. You can retire and spend a lot less money. I always thought if I ever retired, not that I ever want to, but if I had, I'd want to spend more money because now I'd have more time to go spend it. So I think that your financial independence needs to be the amount of money you expect to spend annually in retirement. Now, you can go to any brokerage firm, but I I encourage um, most dentists not to have a broker, but to have a financial uh, manager. You know, like people who work on commission only are biased. So, you know, they're going to sell you stocks back and forth. I like fee-based financial investment managers where they take a percentage each year of the portfolio. You do better, they do better, you do worse, they do worse. So I, that's just my, my um, uh, thinking for dentists. And you want to be, my other thinking, right or wrong, and not everyone would agree, but if you're a dentist, be conservative with your investments. Dentists can't afford huge losses. You know, a lot of people can afford a huge loss, and they build another company, or they have other income. If a dentist goes through a divorce, for example, and I'm, I'm sure based on the statistics some of our listeners have, well, that, that can really set you back. That can add 10, 12, 13 years to practice time. So let's assume you are 26 years old, 36 years old, 46 years old, whatever age, you go to your financial advisor and say, I would like a financial plan. They're free. You shouldn't have to pay a lot of money. Uh, but the ones you get from a Merrill Lynch, and there's nothing wrong with Merrill Lynch. I'm not disparaging them. But those are software programs that get a few pieces of information and spit out a, a fairly generic type report. Um, you want a highly customized plan that even includes the sale of your practice. So they should not... You know, whoever you work with should be able to do a financial plan for you. And what you want to know is how much money do I need to earn each year? What will my taxes be? How much will I have left to take care of my lifestyle and to fund my retirement? 
And then you look at that every single year for the rest of your life. And they, they will work on a, a life expectancy model. So some really good planners will ask you how long you think you're going to live. And they'll run two plans, the life expectancy model. And then, Sonny, your life expectancy is whatever the average is for you. But you might think you're going to go 10 more years. You know, So you don't want to run out of money too early. So, And I know you're in great shape and you exercise and still play ball and things like that. So you, you run this model and it says, okay, if you have X amount of money, you will run out of money when you're 94 or you'll, you'll be gone at 87 and you'll leave $2 million to your children. Uh, because a lot of people would like to leave assets to their children as well, of course. So you run that plan year after year. Then every year you update it. Did I, did I put the right amount away this year? And am I on the plan? But here's what financial planners cannot do for you. They can't tell you what taxes will be in 2023. So the plan's based on taxes as we know it today. The plan's based on a certain interest rate of return in the stock and bond market, uh, typically 5%. If you're, if you're planning on 18% a year in your stock portfolio, you're probably very optimistic and foolish. So they will continue every year to redo the plan based on changes in tax law, like, like capital gains right now. We know they might go, they might go up to 35%. If they do, well, that's going to be a lot more tax on assets. Therefore, the plan you had will be much slower than the plan you're about to get if, if, if Congress passes that. So you do the plan, you update it annually. And I tell people, live the plan. Um, I see people who have a lot of debt and then they pay off the debt and they start buying stuff. Now, I'm not moralizing. If you want to buy stuff, that's fine. If you want expensive this and that, that's fine. I believe if you go slower, you can have it all. What I tell them is, hey, take the check you were writing for your debt and keep writing it into your retirement savings. And I don't just mean retirement accounts. You can only put so much into a pension or into your IRA or into your 401k. You need to have, if you're going to retire comfortably, you're going to need more than those. You're going to need separate nest eggs, separate savings to propel mm -hmm. you along the way. So that's my advice to any dentist. Fantastic. So in, in, in kind of closing, what would some of your final thoughts be to our listeners? Well, I, just had, I just had a thought I've never had before putting this whole thing together, which is your ability to fund, to move toward financial independence in stage one is not there. You're, you're just trying to make enough money to make a living. And now you get married, you have kids, you have a house. Stage two, you have rocket ship growth, but it also comes with rocket ship overhead. You're hiring people. It's in stage three where you can really start saving very successfully. And if you get into stage four, you'll have nothing to worry about. You'll have a great income and great retirement savings. So my final message would be that I'm very optimistic that practices can move in faster into stage three. And many hearing this can make a decision to move to stage four if you follow the principles that we mentioned. You need 
vision, mission, and culture. You need an office manager who continually grows and you have continual improvement in the practice. When I see these stage four practices, they're like you, Sonny. They have phenomenal practices, but they're not resting on their laurels. They're not looking at their income and saying, okay, I'm happy. They, they have a continual improvement mentality. And the day you stop improving is the day you start plateauing. Just like I tell people, my clients personally for executive coaching, the day you stop improving is the day you start aging. Um, and a lot of people are like, well, I don't want to age. I'll get on that right away. So number one, identify the stage you're in. Stage one, startup. Stage two, growth. Stage three, maturity. Stage four, leadership. Number two, identify what you need to do to move to the next stage. And then number three, make it happen. And you can get experts to help you make it happen. Your life will be better because experts also keep you from making mistakes and they get you to your goals faster. And that would be my summarization of, I uh, hope, a good conversation today, Sonny. This, this has been fun as always. I appreciate it. Well, I think the, the interesting thing is experts tend to help you not have to make all your own mistakes, right? Absolutely. So, and then mentors and people along the way that you can learn from their mistakes. You don't have to make all of them yourself. You can learn from somebody else's mistake. Right. Well, and on the big decisions, you do want an expert in your corner because yeah. if you make those mistakes, they can really hurt you. Absolutely. You know, so, all right. Well, Roger, as always, I appreciate it. Appreciate all the info. I'm sure you helped a bunch of folks today. So thank you very much. Thank you. I'll look forward to seeing you soon. You too. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Fee for Service Dentist Podcast. If you would like to share your fee for service story, please fill out our contact form at ffsdentistry.com. Also, be sure to join our Fee for Service Dentistry Facebook group. For help starting your dental membership plan, visit dentalmembershipdirect.com and membershipmastercourse.com. Finally, for help with in-house financing, visit dentalfinancingdirect.com. And don't forget, your story is what you make of it. This is your name on the door and your reputation on the line. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time.